Once upon a time, there were three writers. They stole a prompt uttered in real life and ran with it. Bella, hit the theme tune. Bella. Bella? Bella. Bella's Bella not isn't here. <laughs> We've replaced her. <laughs> Hello! <laughs> We've got Emma. Emma, say hi. <laughs> hi! Emma. What sort of things do you usually write? I am primarily a novelist. I mean, I've been writing like long novel type things for quite a while, but I haven't actually touched anything novelly now since I started uni. Big sad. <laughs> I write a lot of other things as well. Obviously, I, I write a lot for the ball. I do a lot mm. of like non-fiction orientated things. I mess around with poetry sometimes. But oh, yeah, cool. primarily a novel person. Yeah. Although that's on hold. I had the same thing when I joined uni. I think I joined uni and the tutor said to me, look, whatever projects you've got from before uni, just stop them because as you learn more writing techniques, you're going to go to hating your old work and just edit it and rip it all apart. And so you might as well wait until mm. after uni and res resolve them all in one big chunk. Yeah. Did you guys also have like a stack of notebooks from your old writing that you now hate but can't throw away? I have so many. I love them so much though. Um, so they... I don't have notebooks as such. What I do is I, I, I handwrite everything um, mm. and then put it in a folder and then I'll type it up and then just kind of bin the first draft as I, as I type through it. But I have stuff on the internet which makes oh. it even worse. <laughs> but I think I could never hate some of my old writing though because although it's technically not good it's still like a big part of who i was at that time this is 10 year old izzy or this is 18 year old izzy and her view of the world so even if it's a bit rubbishly written it's still it's still me yeah i guess so i think there's quite a lot of me especially in my main characters obviously i don't base characters around myself because mm. That's a big no-no in the world of writing, at least as we know. But there's always my main characters always have something of me in it. Maybe just an aspect of my personality at the time or what I wanted at the time, and then some other more fictional traits thrown in. It's yeah. just quite an unconscious thing for me. Yeah, I think a lot of my main characters used to be a little bit of who I wanted to be. Like I used to write a lot of YA style things, and I'd say, "Oh, I want to go on this big adventure," and save the world bring down the system or and i think <laughs> we've all I been there yeah i don't know whether that was just me putting myself into it or whether it's just i didn't know how to write a character well-rounded enough to be the main character so i just used myself whereas now obviously i've changed a bit i hope learned a little bit through my degree let's move on to our writing now then and this week's prompt this week's prompt is my plants are named after you so i can talk to you all while doing work how did you guys find the prompt? I specifically went on this episode of the show because the prompt spoke to my soul <laughs> in a way that was just a little bit too real. Produce, out of that, I produce one of the weirdest and possibly saddest poems I've ever come out with. <laughs> Very cheery. This is on quite a level for me as well. I know, I'm known for, I mean, I'm not like I'm known for writing weird poetry at least, but for one of my poetry assignments, I ended up writing a poem that combined Finding Nemo and the Me Too movement. I don't know what happened. It was a shower thought. You know what you say about shower thoughts? Yeah, I think that's part of what poetry is about as well. It's just about you enjoy writing it and then you can give it to other people to enjoy reading it. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. And uh, it, came, it all came out quite quickly. I mean, I haven't added, edited the poem that much because normally when I write poetry, I'll have an idea like, I will need to be in the right space for that idea. Go, okay, okay, this idea is compelling me to uh, put it down on paper. I cannot resist it. So I just kind of vomit words 
for a, f- a couple of pages and then that's kind of it. Poetry is not the sort of form that I can vomit so I really envy you on that. I, I can vomit mm. scripts, I can vomit prose if I'm in a good mood, but poetry I just end up thinking, is this word good enough? Does this word deserve to be in this sentence? And I just end up overanalyzing it so much. So yeah, it's really interesting to see how poetry is a different process for each person as well. This prompt, so this prompt, it's a little bit mad. It's because it comes from my friend, Imi, who is mad in the most beautiful and lovely way. Um, she basically, on my, I've got a chat with all of my friends at home and we were all just saying about how insane we're going in isolation and what it's doing to all of us and she then came up with my plants are named after you so i can talk to you all while doing work and then on the video call later that night she showed us our plants i'm a little cacti (laughs) it's really sweet i'm quite i'm quite scared to ask this but how are your plants doing i'm aware they sometimes have a short lifespan efren um, I, we, had, we had a conversation about this on radio, is it? Oh, we did. Yeah, my plants. So there's a bit of a death count with my plants. Barry the basil is dead. Um, Gary oh. and Gertrude, the garlics are gone. Um, I killed my cactus as well. Carry the cacti. But Veronica the Venus flytrap, still alive. Because Incredible. basically, <laughs> I know, I put her in my bathroom and told my flatmate who's still at my uni house to basically just water Veronica every now and again. I think she's still alive. Either that or my flatmate just hasn't had the heart to tell me that Veronica is dead. Yeah, I'm as bad at looking after plants as you, so don't <laughs> worry about that. You're not alone. Um, But I found this prompt interesting because I've already done a big... So for my poetry in first year, I did a huge poetry anthology, which is basically about all of my plants when they were then alive and I basically compared... <laughs> I, I really enjoyed it I regret comparing the life of my plants to my friendships considering that my plants are now dead but <laughs> <laughs> Emma watch your back she's coming for you <laughs> but it was a really fun it was really fun poetry I got to do little sonnets of my love for my plants and I did a little poem in Morse code and I really liked it and so when I saw this prompt I was tempted to reuse it but then I thought no I'm not going to do that I'm going to try and write my own thing my a new thing and see what happens Aaron how did you find it uh I did the same thing I always do which is pretty much change the prompt completely but other than that I think it worked yeah I think I kept in some of it I just kept the vibe of the prompt the atmosphere but Erin, should we have a look at your piece first then? Sure thing. Are you guys both okay reading? Uh, yeah. Oh, uh, my genre is fairy tale, just in case I didn't mention that. <laughs> Once upon a time, far from the golden towers of the kingdom, stood a small shack at the foot of a mountain. Inside of the young girl, all alone. But this did not mean she was lonely. The girl rose to the sun and spent her days tending to her garden. The ground was rocky and the winds harsh, but the girl carried buckets of dirt from the nearby wood and chopped down trees into sturdy fences to protect her work. Under her warm, dark fingers, plants sprouted, and even on the coldest of days. On the shortest day of winter, when a fierce gale tore at the door of the shack and the rain lashed at its windows, a traveller stumbled across it. The girl heard the knock at her door and ushered them inside. Um, come into the warm, stranger she said i have little but you're welcome to it 
The stranger pulled back the hood of their cloak. They were an old woman with cracked and spotted skin and prominent eyes like a startled frog. The girl was a little uneasy, but she gave the woman a friendly smile. I am cold, my dear, said the old woman. May I sit by the fire? Of course, replied the girl, and helped the old woman sit in her only armchair before settling herself on the rough floorboards. I am hungry, my dear, said the old woman. May I have something to eat? Of course, replied the girl. She went to her cupboard and looked inside. There were precious little food in the shack, but she cut the woman some homemade bread with the last bit of cheese and placed a sweet pea flour beside it to cheer up the disappointing meal. Nothing for yourself, my dear? Asked the old woman. The girl shook her head. I'm not hungry, thank you. The old woman ate up all the bread and all the cheese and chased the crumbs with her fingers. I am thirsty, my dear said the old woman. May I have something to drink? Of course, replied the girl. She put on her cloak and walked through the heavy rain to pull up a bucket of water from the well. She heated it over a fire in a tin kettle and mixed in the last of her tea leaves and gave it to the old woman. Why are you all alone in this shack, my dear? asked the old woman. Because I'm learning, replied the girl. And what could you learn at the foot of a mountain? Lots of things. I'm learning to make my own bread and grow my own vegetables and how to keep my little shack dry. But most importantly, I am learning to care for myself. Whatever do you mean? exclaimed the old woman. I worked for other people when I was very small, explained the girl. I cleaned and cooked and comforted and wrote and thought, yet they never thanked me. I almost tire the people entirely, but I shall have to return to them soon. Why should you return so quickly? The girl looked quietly into the fire. Because I want to be kind, she said, and I want to make people happy. The old woman nodded, rose to her feet, and opened the door. The raindrops avoided her as they fell from the sky, so that as she walked away, her cloak remained dry. The next morning, the girl arose from the sun. With no bread or cheese, she decided to dig up some potatoes for breakfast. When she walked into her garden, she heard a quiet whispering. It was only when she knelt down beside her roses that she realised it was coming from the flowers, her bluebells and daisies and daffodils, all glinting with the early morning dew. She put her ear close to the petals and listened. You are kind, the roses whispered. You are kind, you are kind, you are kind. Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> I know, I love what I love what you did with that actually. I mean I'd have never thought of actually writing a fairy tale with actually a really modern and really relevant message. Mm. This, this is the problem with the what? pandemic, it invades our writing. I just I love fairy tale as a genre. I think you can do so much with it. And I just love the contrast between the old woman and the little girl and all of the conventions that you put in there, like the repetition of the woman asking for things and the girl just doing it without question. I just thought it was really sweet. And the roses at the end as well, and the flowers as they all sort of came up and said that she's kind. Yeah, that is adorable. <laughs> no, I, I love fairy tales. Yeah. yeah. I have a massive book of Grimm's fairy tales, and I've read all of it at least five times. It's Ooh. just wonderful. <laughs> what did you think of the Grimm's fairy tales? Because they're different I, from the conventions. I mean, I have, like... 
I have like the really old ones, so the ones that haven't been butchered by Disney. <laughs> so that don't get me started on Disney and Brothers Grimm. I will <laughs> be here for hours. Um, the idea that all the kind of gory bits are still left in, so mm. people get like put into barrels of boiling oil, and the kind of evil characters are killed in horrible ways, and the good characters still prevail. And yeah, I just I just think they're very well written and very old. Yeah, I've never, I've never seen actually the read any of these. I would highly recommend them. So, should we have a look at Emma's piece then? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> How did you find writing your piece? You did a poem. I went with poetry, yeah, because I thought I just thought it made the most sense to do poetry. I'm actually I actually really can't get on with short stories. Um, I actually mm. find that actually incredibly. They're actually way more different from novels than you think they are, even though it's still prose. So I was like, mm, I'm not quite sure that's my forte. And I always, when I wrote short stories, they'd always become long stories. So I thought poetry was probably the best option in that yeah. sense. I think it just, I think it just made sense with the, the amount of time that I have. And I thought I could read this into a poem, especially yeah. something that's quite emotional as well. I think I can convey that more immediately with poetry. Yeah, definitely. Um, so did you want to... Have you got yours up? Are you happy to read it? Yep, I've got it here. <laughs> my quirky tiger notebook. Okay. <laughs> my plants are named after you so I can talk to you all while doing work. I promise you I'm not on drugs. And the last time I checked, the symptoms of cabin fever didn't include hallucinating. I give you... I mean, I mean the plants. A spoken commentary of the thoughts I have on this damned essay and this metaphor whose meaning I can't catch in a literature student's endless games of tag. I can blame to you, I mean, the, the plants, that the Venus is a creep and Adonis is a wet blanket and how the sun appears to shine out Dorothea Brooks' arse. At least I don't mind listening, as I know, as I hope you wouldn't. The plants are not replacements but placeholders. They fill the space between the video calls and text messages. They fill the ever-growing space between when I last held you and when I will hold you again. But there are holes in their comfort. I can't watch a plant wander around my room in its underwear. I can't let it cuddle me to sleep. It can't take me out to lunch. It can't kiss me back. And I most definitely cannot have sex with a plant. Firstly, ooh. Secondly, how? At least with a plant. The thieving, diseased hands of the outside world cannot reach in through the window and take it away from me. I love this one so much. I think I, I love how you put like the comedy in there and stuff as well, but it's also really serious at the same time because it's just about missing people. And I think everyone's missing people at the moment. And it's just, I think you pretty much just sum up that feeling in that poem. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I relate to every single comment about the life of an English student. <laughs> yeah, that kind of came actually from the essays I've been working on at this very moment. Yeah. Um, obviously, I'm doing. I've written an essay on Venus and Adonis by Shakespeare, which ironically is a poem he also wrote in uh, isolation, Ooh, hidden meaning, and uh, <laughs> was having to write an essay on Middlemarch, which uh, is where Dorothy Brooke comes from. Because even hearing you, so so I read it when you sent it to chat to the chat and it's such a different experience hearing you read it because you can actually feel like the words that you stress and the emotion that you put into it is just so powerful as well as the actual original text as well oh thank you <laughs> and i just love that you've kept true to the prompt as well like it, you are doing what the prompt said you're talking to the plants but it's just because you miss someone and that's really really that's really really sweet and powerful and it's what poetry is all about 
Yeah, um, I write way too many poems about my boyfriend and all truth. I was like, oh, I know who this reminds me of when I saw this prompt. Mm. And so it was quite easy to, to, to write from such an immediate standpoint, I guess, feelings that I had at the time rather than old feelings. Yeah, definitely. I, I relate a lot. I think my piece this week, also, my boyfriend's crept into it a little bit, so <laughs> I definitely Aww. relate to that. Speaking of my boyfriend, he's actually submitted a little piece um, for this prompt. So he writes um, a lot of journalism articles. He's a games journalist and he did a lot for the student newspaper and so I basically bullied him into writing a piece for this prompt because I thought he could do it really well and he did do it really well. Erin, can you read it? Yeah, sure. I'm... So my phone's just run out so I've just had to like get the phone charger which is too short so I'm <laughs> gonna have to put the phone down so I can work the computer but I am still here. Okay. Budding buddies in Animal Crossing New Horizons. Bring me a shrubbery. Animal Crossing New Horizons has taken the world by storm. COVID-19 lockdowns have left plenty of gamer trapped indoors, with no safe green space to escape to. So millions of them are making do with the virtual paradise of their respective island getaways. My experience has been one of love and hate. I adore the relaxed nature of it all, the opportunity to grow relationships with the in-game island residents Though I detest the rotating selections of items. Just let me buy what I want. <laughs> However, for the most part, I just can't stop myself from logging in to explore my town and, most importantly, to decorate it from coast to coast. One recent addition helping me achieve this is the arrival of Leaf for Earth Day. This mild-mannered guest will pitch up periodically on your town square to offer his wares, a selection of flower seeds and shrubberies. The likes of like the knights of Nith themselves, I have gone crazy for his botanical delights. Breeding flowers of rare varieties and colours has been one of my favourite pastimes in Animal Crossing so far. I frequently jet off to visit friends solely with the goal of raiding their town shops for Aurora Ray. Wind flowers, roses, hyacinths, tulips, you name it, I have it growing on my island. Not just in your basic red, yellow and white either. I have patiently, and with some occasional time travel, developed blue, pink and orange varieties to spice up my fields. I have no clue but why this one particular section just speaks to me. In the uncontrollable monotony of being trapped indoors, the controllable monotony of planting and tending to them for days on end until my watering can breaks has become my calling. I will not stop until my green thumb has been worked to the bone, though I might have to if the urge to talk to them grows strong. I don't want to come across as too obsessed. <laughs> Hamish has such a distinct writing style and I love it. He's got a really good writing style. He basically just has got all of his games he really loves and he'll just focus on one little mechanics like the plants and animal crossing and he'll just talk about them in an informal way or he'll find just some different take to view a game. I just... <laughs> I just like that he's talking about collecting strawberries because he's actually he actually does this. I'll be on a video call with him and he'll just be playing Animal Crossing and getting all of his plants. So I'm glad that's why I told him to do a response to this prompt because I thought he might as well at least write about it. Yeah, I think that's adorable actually. I've never had a boyfriend who also writes. Um, what's it like having a boyfriend who does writing as well? Because my boyfriend is a scientist. He won't even <laughs> read, let alone write. 
it's very helpful. So he also does science. He, he, so he does science and he does journalism on the side. And it's really helpful having him do that because it means that all of my assessments and stuff, if I think, oh, I don't know whether this is good or not, he can proofread it because he was an editor for the student newspaper. So he's really good at proofreading saw, yeah. and just making it flow. So that's very helpful. But also it's good because his thing is journalism and my thing is creative writing. It means that I can be queen of my writing and he can be king of his so we have a we're separate enough that it's not a competition but it's still helpful yeah, yeah actually that's, that's actually something i haven't really thought about but no i i can definitely i i, I like how um even even though my boyfriend is not much of a reader i mean he's he's kind of brings the uh, sort of logic and assertion and stuff of his uh, from his uh, science brain, really. But I have managed to get him to uh, read things that I've written, usually just short articles for the bore. Mm. But uh, even if that means he's uh, or even my poetry, actually, he's written, oh. he's read a few of my poems. He actually really liked the aforementioned Me Too slash Finding Nemo poem. <laughs> but at least it means I can get him to read something. At yeah. least. It, even if it's just because I wrote it and not because he wants to. <laughs> it's just helpful to have someone you trust as a proofreader, just to give your writing to anyone to feed back on and and to yeah. enjoy. It's quite a... It makes it a whole lot easier. Especially as with my boyfriend, if he says that he doesn't like a specific aspect, he can do that. Whereas it's harder with friends and stuff because you have to also be oh, nice yeah. when you're critiquing someone's work whereas he can just say this is awful yeah <laughs> so let's have a look at my work now so i, I... So your work which is definitely not awful <laughs> well this one i've actually gone really outside of my comfort zone with it basically last week bella suggested a writing exercise to help with writing poem poetry and so basically she suggested on the show that when writing poetry the first thing she does is she writes a load of random words just a list of words that she really likes and just completely random they might not be related or there might be a theme and then she writes it first and then goes into her poetry and lets it flow out and so I thought well I've been struggling to write poetry at the moment so I think I'm going to try that technique and see where it takes me so this is my genre is poetry and I'm trying Bella's technique and seeing how it goes. So I've called it Guyline. Three hairbands around her wrist beat twisted gold and Pandora charms. Pollen prickles skin as she picks the flowers with muted petals. The sun's fire stays above her, out of her way, scattered through the air that others breathe. She isn't cold, but she isn't warm, as she arranges her flowers by touch instead of sight. Light rides over and under the waves, but they're far away from her landlocked meadow. It's not that she discovers she can fly. She discovers that others can't. The apple hits her on the head, the waves leap from the moon's grip, and the others fall when they trip. Lipstick isn't just to match the roses on the dress she cut from his shirt and stitched until the fabric stopped fraying. Others kiss the ground with every step, this invisible force pushing them to where they need to be. But she flies not above them, just a different way of being, breathing the air from other levels with no need for the earth between her toes. She can't control where she goes, she takes it in her stride, enjoys the ride that the wind pushes her through. The path rolls over the hills, then ducks under the train tracks to the river full of tyres and golf balls. Canvas clings to her back as she pitches it where the sun sinks into the earth. 
pegs dip and if pegs dig into the ground, guy ropes strain as she slips on the top of the tent, sleeping, pulse digging into her back, dreams dancing around her. Sunrise shakes her awake. No, a torch and a shadow against her tent, a zip sliding down. She takes a spare guy and wraps one end to the ankle, the other around her earth. Her sleeping bag hides the rope, she hopes, as the canvas peels away the shadow to reveal their form. They hand her a pot of basil, and she puts a leaf in her mouth, feeling the flavour burst. The brightest flower. She thanks him with a smile as she stumbles outside, feigning walking as gracefully as Bambi slipping on the ice. The pair walk into a coffee shop. She orders hot chocolate. They order chai chick tea. The rope bites into her flesh as she picks up a spoon and eats the whipped cream. She mirrors how they sit, legs sometimes crossed, sometimes slightly apart, but always pushed into the chair that she floats inches above. They ask her how competitive she is. Kinda, I guess. The two run outside in a race that both of them win. As the pair embrace, the tent falls off her back because she now has a new home. They turn daisies into flower crowns. She stitches curtains into ball gowns. The pair dance together because who else would either of them rather dance with? They hold up her hand so she can spin heels kicking her skirt high enough for them to see her rope. They ask, of course, who wouldn't? And she doesn't really know. That's the only answer they need as the moon rises. That night, they sleep under the stars, while she sleeps up in the stars, ready to reattach the rope when the sun burns her face. She can't bear to fly when they're on the ground, so she floats into a forest and begs the spirits to teach her how to fall. The spirits push her into a brick wall so she screams the gravity who rejects her in favour of other objects. So she soars back to them, mouthful of words ready to fire. She searches below, but only sees her shadow, and she looks up to see a hundred balloons and, dangling in a harness of ribbons, them. That is so sweet. I know! <laughs> We've got a bit of a theme going on, it <laughs> seems. Wholesome. <laughs> I think someone, someone call Bella and tell her she's just started a poetry movement. <laughs> she has, she has. I think isolation's just making me sappy. <laughs> I think maybe it is for all of us, actually. But it reminds me, actually, of an exercise I did earlier in the year. Right, we did poetry with um, the legend that is David Morley right at the start of, <laughs> uh, of the year. He got us to do something similar. He got us to... I mean, he kind of got us to unconsciously choose the objects he just goes like he just went pick a savory snack pick a coffee shop item pick a word from a book and then that was what we had to build the poetry around it oh, was wild really cool. <laughs> yeah it's writing exercises like that that just sometimes really help bring out certain themes and certain things that you didn't even know you were thinking about it's just all happening oh yeah yeah, and actually, when you do something like that, you're just like, wow, that can come out of my brain. Yeah, it's really surprising. I actually took some of this inspiration for... There's a short story called The Husband Stitch by Carmen Maria Mercado. I probably pronounced that wrong. And the whole thing that's hitched on is it's a short story, and every now and again, they'll just mention that the woman has a ribbon around her neck and she tells her partner just don't touch it the rest of the story continues but every now and again it comes up and she just says don't touch it and then it ends it ends when she's asleep and she feels her partner untying it and so she wakes up and she's really upset and she says do you want to do you want to untie it and he says yes 
and he unties it and her head falls off. I have read that story. I read it. My friend showed me it a while ago. It is an incredibly written story. I actually did kind of see the ending coming. I was thinking, oh God, her head's going to fall off. It's a very strange ending in the way that the story is written because it's it's beautifully told. And then you don't expect something that sounds so pretty to end in such a random way with someone's head falling off their shoulders. Does he put her head back on and just tie the ribbon back? Like, no harm done, fix it with masking tape or something? <laughs> oh, Erin, I wish it worked like that. That would be great. <laughs> well, oh, well, I'm sorry, Izzy, if the world doesn't end with ribbon-tying heads on. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, speaking of endings, that pulls us really well onto our next topic, because we have a topic this was submitted by one of our followers called Nahal writes um she's on instagram she has the most amazing account she's a really good writer she does lots of great advice everything she posts is really uplifting and i really like her stories as well because they're all really interactive so she sent in the topic to us why are sad endings more popular what do you guys think i mean life isn't fair life doesn't end well so i guess it's a i suppose it's realism i mean or maybe it's because actually we're so we got we we got raised on happy endings you could have kind of got a bit sick of them and i suppose i mean i don't know how true to life that is but then of course you you want something different you want something more realistic because not sure happy endings everybody can latch on to not everything ends happily Mm. Um, so I guess I guess sadness kind of feels more like a, a real world scenario unless I'm just projecting because of the current climate we're in but um, take that as you will I guess what no, do you I guys think, think? Right. I think they're a lot easier to write in that if you have a happy ending everyone has to be alive or everyone's art <laughs> has to come to a close and it's it's a lot easier to just go and then they all die <laughs> um, it's, it's just a, it's an easy way out with a big emotional impact at the same time mm. but this is remind there's a book series that i absolutely loved when i was younger called the saga of darren shan which is i believe it's 12 books long and then they did prequels, but we'll ignore them. Ooh. And um, I won't, I won't give you guys spoilers for the ending. But the the first page of the first book is a little prologue that says, um, "Right, everyone, happy endings don't exist. Everything goes wrong in the end. I just wanted to make th- make sure you knew that before I begin." And then I read all fourteen books, went back to the first book, and I've got there aren't many books I've thrown across the room. <laughs> that was one of them. <laughs> Tell you another thing that reminds me of when you mentioned that sad endings are arguably easier to write. That struck me because it reminds me of a book that I absolutely loathe that I had to study for my degree, Tom Jones. Because there is a line exactly like that. That is a book that ends surprisingly happily if you're not aware of it, despite the misfortunes of the characters. And I hate the narrator of that book. He is pretentious. He's a massive show-off. He tells you what to think, but he goes, well, look at me being artistic. I can do a happy ending because I am skilled. Oh. I love how we're basically saying, well, we can't be bothered to keep all of our characters alive and happy. It's too much effort, so we have to spoil We have to give some sort of sad ending. I think there's definitely a sort of big word alert, Tharsis, in, um, <laughs> in sad endings. There's a whole... A whole theory from Brighton Theatre 
that well not from bright he did a lot of study on it on basically is it aristotle watch, i think it comes Sorry, from yeah. yeah i think it definitely comes yeah i think it comes from aristotle and then brecht goes against yeah. it basically if you watch a character have a sad ending you obviously feel sad you might cry about it but then all of those emotions are kind of washed from you and at the end you feel better like you if there's a movie that you cried at you do feel better afterwards and you think it's a good movie and you enjoy it we don't know why i haven't looked in to see if there's any science about it but i think there's definitely something to be said from that there is a whole so i've been studying a lot on tragedy at the moment i've been doing a big i was gonna say i did tragedy at a level so i was thinking this is what it's reminding me of yeah, and um, basically, uh, the part of the reason why the Greeks put so much of an effort on tragedy is because it washes. It's because if the, these citizens get a catharsis, then they're going to be good citizens. And if they see these big characters who have everything they want in the world make one mistake and come to a tragic ending, then it makes the audience feel better in some way. It's annoying when you can't. It, I, it annoys me when I can predict an ending, like especially if it's going to be oh. a sad one, like you can tell in tragedy it's all going to go wrong. Mm. Yeah. Well, there's mm. also, in Romeo and Juliet's prologue, Shakespeare just writes a summary of Romeo and Juliet and says they're going to die. And he does a Darren Shan. <laughs> it's just a big fat spoiler. Or is Darren Shan doing a Shakespeare? Oh, oh no! <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah, it's, it's just a big fat spoiler. But then also, if you're watching for what's going to happen, it's kind of more tragic. Like, if you know that somebody, a certain character is going to die, when you see them really happy and find the love of their life, you think, no, don't do it, this is going to kill you. So Yeah, you know it's going to go wrong and it's not going to last. Yeah. But anyway, so, yeah, we got this topic submitted. And so I did a poll on Instagram and I asked people whether at the moment they prefer sad endings or happy endings. And most people actually put that they prefer happy endings at the moment and i thought that that was really interesting because i think on the whole from what i've seen books with sad endings have definitely been more popular so i don't know whether it's something to do with we need happy endings at the moment we need to see other characters feel happy as an escape for our own lives at the moment in these difficult times i don't know what you guys think about that I guess it's easy to feel satisfied from a happy ending because you bond with these characters. You want them to see them succeed. And maybe people feel like if it's a sad ending, if they don't get what they want, then it maybe feels like a little bit like the investment of time and energy and emotion was a bit of a waste. Mm. Oh, like that reminds me of when in the Divergent trilogy, um, they ended up... (laughs) I, I didn't even read the last book because I was told it was such a disappointment and I ended up killing off the main character. And I, I was just so sad. Oh, sorry. Everybody I've knows so many spoilers. I think everybody who has read YA knows that Triss dies at the end, at some point in Allegiant. I knew she was going to die before she actually died because I think there was an accidental spoiler somewhere. It was like I knew the ending of The Fault in Our Stars because everybody had read it before I had. Yeah, it was... I was just so sad because I was like... Tress is my hero at the time I was like 14 and she's really cool (laughs) and she just goes into this new world and dies that was interesting as well because it obviously isn't the ending that people wanted because even when they did the movie series they actually never did the last movie and so it was obviously that much of the wrong ending for those characters that was also interesting to think about because 
I then got so when I did that poll on Instagram I then had one of our followers message us and say well I think it actually depends on the genre so like we saw in Divergent in YA maybe you need some sort of happy ending and maybe you can't absolutely can't get away with just killing off the main character but in something like cough cough John Green or (laughs) (laughs) or, um, some sort of buildings roman or something like that maybe you can get away with bad endings there what do you guys think about genre coming into it how big the tragic problem is affects it a lot like if you're writing in um like if you're writing in a sci-fi dystopia where the entire world is destroyed Mm. it's gonna be really difficult to have a happy ending unless you're focusing on one specific very small problem like oh these two characters escape from a colony and that's their happy ending it's a lot simpler to do happy endings with fantasy type type things where Mm. your problems can be easily defeated like oh you defeat the dragon and that's the happy ending i was gonna say i think fantasy happy endings i think are are more common i wonder i was thinking about crime that could be that could be either i suppose i think i don't read a lot of crime but the one crime novel that i read quite a few years ago ended really really gruesomely Mm. um it ended with obviously they've been trying to solve this murder but the main character's wife, who is pregnant, becomes the victim of said murder and is found dead in an extremely gruesome way. Oh so gosh. that kind of... And also, endings don't really have to fit into the binary of happy or sad. They can be more shocking, perhaps. Mm. Or cliffhangers. What about cliffhangers as well? Yeah. I think that's really interesting because you just made me think now of murder mysteries and stuff. I guess murder mysteries... There's always going to be murder in, so people expect a certain amount of the characters to die. It's not necessarily as sad when that happens, because it's promised in the genre. So the happy ending in a murder mystery is them solving the crime. And unless you're me doing a quirky little theatre show in year 11 for my GCSEs, you can't really get away with not solving the crime at the end of a murder mystery. Yeah. Maybe bittersweet endings are are an option. I don't know if you guys are aware at the minute, but um, I'm going on a fandom rant. Uh, Supernatural is coming to an end. It's on season 15. Wow. Um, Yeah, I know. It's a lot of seasons. (laughs) I know, it's ridiculous. Um, But there's a lot of debate as to how it's going to end, Mm. because they've now got to the point where characters have died and been brought back to life, and um, pretty much every plot that's been explored ever has gone on and the villain decay has just got ridiculous. <laughs> and I think now if it ended happily, I, I wouldn't accept that because so much tragic stuff's happened. But also if they ended up killing the main characters, like I know some people were theorising, I don't think that would work either. I think the only way that they could satisfy everyone is if certain characters survive but they're broken in some yeah. way it wouldn't make sense if they were completely happily ever after after they've already gone through no. that yeah so just quickly to keep my dad happy he asked me to just quickly ask whether a poem should rhyme if a poem should rhyme then i can't write poetry <laughs> me too actually i absolutely i never rhyme my poems in fact i hate a lot of general forms with poems i had a long round to this in the commentary I did, none of my poems really have specific form. I focus more on language rather mm. than a specific. And I think rhyme is just a constraint, perhaps, because yes. you've got to find yeah. words that, obviously, that, that rhyme and it limits what you can say. 
And it's also easy to make rhyme sound awkward as well, because mm. you're just trying to find something that will fit rather than something that actually builds upon meaning. Yeah, um, I think it's the most awkward thing is when you see someone write a word that they wouldn't write ever or use at all in everyday English language if it wasn't because it rhymes with love. I, I, I love as I ride the wings of this dove. It just doesn't work, unless you're Shakespeare, in which case, fair enough. But Shakespeare had enough time on his hand. He yeah, did. Yeah, exactly. We can't Maybe that's why people like Shakespeare so much, because he can rhyme when there's so many of us out there who just can't. <laughs> Shakespeare made up his own words to fit rhyme, but I don't know if that counts. <laughs> Probably does, actually. It's being, it's being creative. It's shaping the English language for yeah. centuries. So, but I, I've had feedback on my poetry before that said, well, it said it was a good poem, but you didn't have to bring the rhyme into it when you already had your poetic form and you already used uh, assonances and sounds and stuff like that. You've already used your imagery. You don't need to then add in a layer of rhyme just to validate it as a poem. Um, my dad is going to hate this answer, by the way. All of the poems that he writes completely rhyme, but. If you think if you are a rhyming poet, then I guess it's going to come naturally to you, and you're going to be able to to rhyme a lot easier than if you if you're someone who focuses on other aspects of poetry like shape and form. Yeah. It's one of his poet one of his poems is on our Instagram, right? It is, yeah. I put his poem Beer Garden up. So he, my dad wrote a lot of poetry around about the time that I was born. It's really sweet. He the other day he came into my room with his big poetry anthology. And I've never thought of my dad as someone who's a writer. I, I know that he's done poetry before, but it's just great seeing his anthology and reading through his poems. I think he wrote one about me when I was a baby, which is really Aww. sweet. Yeah, and then he so won cute. competitions as well. So it's kind of just a nice, maybe this is where your writer comes from, is he? Yeah, I mean, my dad's not a writer either, but he can write like humorous verse and stuff, which is something I've never been able to do. He's done like parodies of songs and that's another thing. I, I do a bit of music. I play the ukulele and stuff, but mm. I've never gotten very far with an original song. I went through a bit of a phase when I was younger, but it's because, I think it's because of the rhyme, the need for yeah. rhyme in a song that I feel like I cannot write one. I think I definitely lean more towards rhyme. So, so for Prompted, we've got our Instagram page. Whenever I've written, whenever I've put some sort of poetry up on there, I like that I just have to think about the shape and how it looks on the page and how it relates to the images that I'm using. I love that element of it, as opposed to thinking of it as something that I can read out loud. Because it's, it's just difficult to read out poetry sometimes. It's just difficult to think of it as both an acoustic and a visual medium of writing. I quite like that aspect of poetry, on the other hand. Um, yeah. I've actually performed a little bit of poetry. Not very much, but it was received really well. Um, oh. It was a, a, an open mic that was organised by the Anti-Sexism Society at Warwick. When I've had feedback on my poetry as well, David's also picked up on the fact that actually my poems would work quite well as spoken word, kind of reading mm. aloud kind of pieces. And I think you can have fun with that because you can perform it. I mean, I've come from a bit of an acting background as well. I haven't done a lot any acting really for a little while, but I feel like I can get that back when I read poems out. I love the whole... I love how poetry comes as... The whole origin of poetry is in performance. It's in having this epic poem that you read out to the court and that you tell yeah. and it's just a way of conveying lots of messages 
And so I really love where that comes from. I, I watch all of the spoken word things that I can find on Facebook or whatever. They've done some incredible things, some slam poets. I kind of found out about it because I had a friend who was really into it and then she'd show me poems from the likes of Sabrina Bername, Olivia Gatwood. I don't know if you've heard of them. A little bit of Rupi Kaur as well. And I was like, wow, these are so powerful. And actually, they can make poems exciting and relevant. I think you can reach quite a wide variety of people. I just love as well that it's all about it's the most well one of the most emotional formats of writing it just really captures that feeling that you're having at the moment in other forms of writing if you just write exactly how you feel you get told off for telling too much whereas in poetry you can really just say this is how I feel and you can really explore that and half the time it doesn't even matter whether anyone else will ever read it because there's a certain catharsis from writing it yourself we're coming towards the end of the show so I've just got to look at next week's prompt The next one also comes from a bit of isolation madness, and the prompt is, I've been painting the fence just to avoid conversations with people. What immediately springs to your guys' minds with this prompt? Um, I mean, I'm obviously just a guess, but my first thought with that would be something funny, I think, because... I guess you can kind of make humour out of the kind of misanthropy that the phrase kind of is pointing to. And that's also something I relate to a bit from my... uh, I was quite a cynical teenager, not so much now, but I definitely think that's the kind of thing 14-year-old me would grab onto and run with. Yeah, I just love that it's such a random action. I I think it's great that people... uh, This prompt came from my friend, I'll explain more about that next week. But I just love that people are finding such random things to do in isolation. I'd be really interested to see after isolation, like, how many of these hobbies stick will this person be painting fences forevermore? I just love what people are doing to entertain themselves and so I think that's what I'm gonna pull out when I do my piece next week. So we're coming towards the end of today's show. I just want to say thanks Emma so much for being on the show. It's been really great having you on here and having all of your views on poetry and having your writing on here as well. I really loved your poem so much. So, oh, yeah, thank you and uh, thank you for having me as well and for doing a podcast that I just love the concept of. <laughs> thanks you're welcome back anytime and, great <laughs> and I just want to say thank you so much to to the prompt provider which is Immy this week for her bizarre prompt which was we had a lot of fun with I want to say thanks so much to everyone for listening for more prompts and writing go to our Instagram at prompted writing podcast if you want any writing advice or you want to share your responses to one of our prompts feel free to DM us you can find us on Anchor FM, which distributes us to Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and many more. And thanks again to all of our writers on today and everyone who submits work to us. That's absolutely amazing. And thanks again so much to everyone for listening. Bye. <laughs>